So to understand that terror, that anxious attachment terror is actually a positive sign that you're vulnerable, that you really care, and you think there could be something great here. So quit looking at the terror as absolute trauma, but rather look at it as a big step. Now you have a chance. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. We're back with part two of our conversation with Dr. Duana Welch discussing what Dr. Welch calls the nice guy butt syndrome because she hears it all too often from her clients. He's such a nice guy, but... So how can we find ourselves attracted to the good guy, someone who's secure and stable and right for us and treats us wonderfully, as opposed to catching feels for a guy who can take or leave us or who's emotionally unavailable or worse, will stay with us and treat us horribly? Our conversation about the nice guy butt syndrome right after this. If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. I want to underscore the anxious attachment element. So often we believe we have this anxious attachment, which is this anxiety, but it's oftentimes it's behavioral. We've allowed ourselves to bypass the pacing that you've spoken to the biology of it, Duena and Elliot and I have talked about it extensively also, just how it makes sense so that we can let those feelings grow and develop. And to your point, Duena, with the dopamine and let that build... So we're calling ourselves, giving ourselves these labels of anxiety, of anxious attachment. And so often, I think if we went back, and now this is where people can't stand it, but the science supports it. If we dated the way our grandmothers dated, we might not experience that same anxiety within the dating experience. What do you guys say to that? I have to say what I'm experiencing with clients when I talk to them about dating from the evolutionary science perspective when I talk to them about it, what I'm experiencing is a lot of female clients who are interested in men feeling that they say, but Duana, no one will date me then. That used to work. And now, you know, it won't work because nobody's going to write to me. Nobody's going to do that. And I said, probably nobody who's anxious or avoidant will do it. People tell me all the time dating is a numbers game and it's not. If you can clearly identify your standards And how you would assess those, whether it's looking at behavior, asking questions and listening to what they say, or a combination of those, which is a big part of what I do with clients is, okay, this is what you want. How do we know that he's got that? It can't be a word like has integrity. What does that mean to you? How do you know he's got that? Then you need to test for it really fast so you don't get invested and involved. And even to the way that that I try to get clients introduced to one another, I write profiles that are from the perspective, they're about the person you're looking for, they're not about you. So that it's throwing the gauntlet down in a friendly, fun way, but still, but again, men are competitive. And when I'm writing them for women, gauntlet thrown, this is you or not. 
you get rid of a lot of people who just don't have it to give just right off the bat. And you're left with not large numbers. I heard about a woman, I don't know her, but my husband does. She went on more than 800 first dates. There's really no need ever to do that. I went on four. I married one of the four. I only went on one second date. If you really nail the process of, I'm going to test for these things really fast. And a secure man's not going to mind. He wants somebody who is not wasting his time. He's not looking to hit it and quit it. He's looking for a secure, solid relationship that he can build his life around. And he thinks building his life around someone is a good idea. He doesn't call marriage the M word or commitment the C word or love the L word. He's open and willing to go there for the right person. Women believe that they can't have anyone do this Younger women than I have much higher odds of finding someone statistically than I did. But women, you're not competing with all the other women. You're only competing against the ones who know what to do. And that's not very many. I was, there I was, 52 years old. I was competing against almost no one, really. I knew that I would find and someone good because I'm not attracted to bad boys. I'm very lucky that way. I'm not. I never have been. Not in middle school, not in high school, not ever. I don't like bad boys. I like kindness and respect. And that is the opposite of disagreeable. And I'm lucky to be raised by a dad who modeled that for me. I became non-secure following a really bad breakup at college. I was secure until then. So I had that foundation to return to. But I would like to get to how can women get over the hump and actually become attracted to these guys? Because some of them, even when they give it time, it's still hard for them. Or let's say they find the guy and they realize, oh my God, I'm attracted to him. Now I'm terrified because this one's one that almost anybody would like, almost anybody would want if they really understood what they were looking at. Well, that reminds me of what Elliot was speaking to earlier about the recapitulation. So Elliot, you were saying that a woman can be terrified of the available man When she's been used to chasing and having that insecure dynamic in the relationship because he's a bad boy. Elliot, you spoke to maybe there's a bit of a fixer upper, like she wants to nurture the bad boy and try to make this one stay because dad wasn't around emotionally in childhood. Those other women didn't know how to love him. I will. There we go. So this is where the codependency. Yes, the healing fantasy. And Dwayne has probably done very similar work, but to get to some of those positive strategic maneuvers, I'll start it, Dwayne, and then you can jump in and add yours. But one of the things I'll do with the ladies is have them bring me a bunch of online options, show me the ones they're drawn to and which ones they're not. And then we'll look at them, we'll look at the language, we'll take the picture away, I'll mix them up and then all that kind of stuff and just have them. This is mainly the college girls or the young people right out of school to help them look at their perceptions and how they're skewed and how they're wired. And and often we'll do the list. Here's the things that are non-negotiable. I have to have a man like this. Here's the ones that I'm willing to negotiate. And here's the ones that absolutely rule breaker. I cannot be with this person. And I can't tell you how many times it's probably happened to you, Dwayne, as well. They'll come back to me and say, man, he has a lot in this, the category I want. He's got a couple in the negotiable. He's got one or two that rules it out, but I think he's different. Even though he's been an alcoholic for 37 years, he's really trying to stop now. And they'll actually say that as if they are going to now completely disregard what they had done themselves and really difficult work to make these different categories so they get skewed or get blocked by this fantasy. And so helping them just bring that forward and talk through that 
and recognize that their longing for this niceness doesn't always match everything in their hard wiring, everything that society teaches us about the quick hookup or the sexy guy at the bar, any of that kind of stuff. I think it all is really retraining, relearning, talking out loud, doing some personal disclosure work to, to magnify it. And having the, the directness and the accountability that Dwayne is giving is so important. So I recognize any listeners that can look her up and get that kind of help. It can be so important just to get that honest feedback because sometimes your best friends and the ones who've been with you on this journey, they're not helping. They're referring other bad guys to you because they know your type. <laughs> I'm like, she's the one who just set up the last guy who abused you. Why in the world are you taking your, her recommendation now? She's my bestie. The bestie ain't doing you right. I would go to someone you don't like, ask them for a referral. Maybe that'll be the way to, to switch it up a little bit. Go to your great grandma who is really opinionated and annoying. She might have the right guy. So, uh, Duena, just those are some of the strategic things I've done with women in particular. Men, it's a little bit of a different venue, but your thoughts on those? Oh, I love it. I love that you show them all these different profiles and say which ones, which ones do you like? Why do you like them? What about these over here? That's brilliant. I've never done that. I usually actually am online with them. In fact, mm. a lot of times I'm being them. We're sharing a screen, oh, that's and cool. I'm yeah. typing the responses in and cutting and pasting and sending them to them. So. They can see Teaching the process. Teaching them how to dance. Yep. 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 Teaching them to fish instead of fishing for them. But, mm -hmm. but yes, I love that. A lot of times women think that the reason that they're not attracted to the guy is a physical reason. Even though if you look back in their past, sometimes they've been attracted to bad boys who empirically weren't that good looking. Mm -hmm. And my husband is of an age where there aren't that many amazing single guys available. Most of the amazing ones are still married. He's about to be 62. He was 59 when we met. I was 52. And I kept wondering, how is this guy single? He's the whole list. And mm -hmm. to your point, the must-haves part of the list is not pass-fail. It's not they got 70%, so it's all good mm -hmm. now. The must-haves part of the list is 100% is what is needed for a passing grade. And by having people make that list before they, they start looking seriously or they interrupt their dating process and they make that list and then they resume looking, that keeps you more honest because once you find someone, you're like, well, that's not really a must-have, right? But he had all the must-haves. And I thought, how in the heck is this guy still single? <laughs> how he was single was, and he's the whole thing, super smart, kind, respectful, very handsome, very broad-shouldered, athletic, funny as heck, and just everything. And I'm thinking, how? How is he kept going on dates where anxious women would tell him after the date, I don't know, I just feel more of a friend vibe. Mm -hmm. They were putting pressure on themselves to know right away. And that's how I got him is other women didn't know what they were looking at. Mm -hmm. I think part of what you're talking about and definitely part of what I'm talking about doing with clients is helping you see the diamonds and stop walking past them as if they were coal. Stop picking up coal and trying to polish it. No amount of pressure from you is making that one a diamond. And instead, notice that thing you thought was quartz is a diamond. Give yourself time and then deal with your terror if you realize you're attracted to them. Gosh, I didn't feel attracted to Carrie, despite my description of him. I am not a woman who's instantly attracted to people. We had talked about 80 hours before our first date. I knew I liked him as a human being, did not know if I was, I knew he was empirically good looking. When I saw him the first time, I was like, again, how is that person walking around the world unattached? And, but then I realized 
that I was, we all know who's good looking, but maybe not our good looking. That makes sense. After I got attached, my anxious attachment just roared back to life. I was pretty good. I've worked with a number of people who are like me who are pretty good at feeling fairly secure until they're actually with someone. <laughs> where, and then they are scared witless. So I have techniques for dealing with that. But I'm wondering, Elliot, what your techniques are. I'm sure you've seen this, right? Oh, yeah. How do you help women deal with that? Yeah, most times to acknowledge it. I call it the RAC, the acronym of RAC, recognize, acknowledge, and then change. So to understand that, that terror, that anxious attachment terror is actually a positive sign that you're vulnerable, that you really care, and you think there could be something great here. So quit looking at the terror as absolute trauma, but rather look at it as a big step. Now you have a chance because now you know, especially someone like you, Duena, with all the background, all the research, you knew, holy cow, this could be it. <laughs> this guy really could be it. And so then the legitimate fear or nervousness, I'd like to say, rather than pure anxiety and terror, but you're right, it, it's all over that spectrum. So then talking through that and then say, let's go through some of these what ifs that are causing you such fear because you're now you're really capitulating two years forward. I've often had clients say, what if he wants to move to Texas someday? I'm like, why is he going to go to Texas? He talks about he likes Texas. I'm okay, but right now he lives in Chicago. Just enjoy Chicago with him. If you both decide later to go to Texas, you're going to be great. So you, then you look for these things that can cause you to shift down because now the fear of the openness, now the canoes in the ocean and it's feeling good. And you're like, this doesn't feel safe anymore. I want to get back to shore where I can panic and be fearful and judge him and disqualify him. So talking through it really strategically and openly and trying to give them freedom to laugh at themselves, to view it differently, to give it that right perspective, that that anxiousness that resurfaced is a good sign, not a bad sign. Doesn't mean you're in trouble. Doesn't mean this guy's a fake. And because if you spent that time like you did joining, which was so smart, the 80 hours of talking and really building the intellectual intimacy, for someone like you is incredibly important. I meant that positively, by the way, oh, yeah. <laughs> not negatively. Yeah, Karen's the same way when she was dating Dan, just to really build and dig into the intellect, the emotion, all of it together. The physicality part will take care of itself. And so helping the women recognize that. And some of the women I work with, Duena, when they get to that trauma point where they're like re-entering a new level of healing, or they've been through some tough divorces and they're like, oh gosh, this means again, if I commit, now that safety net's gone. And so talk about how do we build a new safety net? What does this safety net look like differently now, not to prepare you for something you can't be prepared for, because we never know, someone can choose to leave, but rather to not allow the fear to lead this message in this relationship. Now let's let the faith lead it and work forward. How do we create systemic relational connection, partnership, accountability, love, and being open and honest. If this guy's so great, talk to him. Like you said earlier, most secure men who are very enamored with a woman, they're not going to be turned off by her fear. They're actually going to be turned on, that they can talk and be willing to get heart to heart and soul to soul and mind to mind. And he'll likely share the same thing. Maybe Carrie did with you as well. Say, well, this makes me a little nervous too, because I think you're awesome. You're amazing. I'd like this to be long-term and I'm a little bit scared. And then you can both feel, whew, two human beings, inmate selection, <laughs> talking through what is the reality of where we are. Let's talk and dissect this together and keep building, pacing appropriately to get there. Or one or both, you will recognize where the pacing needs to stop or change or put it on the hold. So that was a long answer, more anecdotal than specific, but I hope that gave some observational thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, one of many things you said that really stood out to me is looking for reasons to disqualify him, like he's going to move to Texas. Mm -hmm. Folks, if you're dating someone secure, and you all are now because you know, 
Dr. Karen and I did that podcast, and I know it's one of your top listened to podcasts. You're all dating someone secure now. A secure partner doesn't want to anticipate what you're going to have for dinner. Never mind, think about moving to Texas Mm -hmm. without you. That is one of the definitions of someone secure is when they choose their partner, they choose someone to make decisions with, not for. That's right. That's what they're doing. They will not make a decision for you unless you ask them to. And even then, they're going to check in and say, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? If we share the anxiousness but live in the security, we'll keep building. But if we don't share the anxiousness and just live through the anxiousness, we're going to sabotage it. This is true. This is true. So that gets to many years ago, and I do have her permission to share this. I worked with a client who was going to break up with Mr. Wright because she didn't like his hat. Now, that may sound ridiculous to some people, but not liking his hat was a metaphor for I'm terrified to sign on for a life with someone who's Mm. really good for me. And I said, here's what you do. Buy him a hat that you think he would look really sexy in (laughs) and say, I think you would be smoking hot in this hat. And he will wear that one for the rest (laughs) of time. (laughs) And then let's work on what's really going on which is fear. Finally, there's a chance that something will really work. Mm -hmm. And that is scary. And really, for most people, in my experience, the reason that's so scary is if you have a non-secure attachment style, you don't really feel worthy. Mm. Non-secure attachers typically feel like if someone knew the real me, they might not really like what they find. They might leave me or they might feel like I don't deserve to be committed to. And so I, I have found increasingly that I'm not a therapist. You just play one on TV. Yeah. I help clients find therapists. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if they don't want to do that, I point them to validated methods of getting some Mm -hmm. therapy that are very low cost, like Mm virtualemdr.com, where they help change their own inner programming to be programming of, they look at what do I really believe about myself? What's behind that? And a lot of times the belief is I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I use some language right on that, Joanna, that I think you're going to love. So if I have a a teacher who's going through that, then I'm going to use her field, her area, her knowledge. And I'll say something. It's a new season, new group of students, new principal came. You're changing schools. So you're rewriting the narrative. If they're an attorney, talk about it's a new case. All those old cases are done. Mm -hmm. Judges made the verdict. The jury's made the verdict. Now we're on to a new case. We're writing a new story. So those old past things don't define you so much that you're living in your unworth, rather living in the new worth of this secure attachment, just trying to give them some metaphorical language that speaks to their heart and giftedness. Yeah. Yeah. To be uh, deeply personal for a minute, I've already told you I wasn't worried about Carrie at all until I fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. And then I was terrified. I was terrified because I've been divorced from two men who have alcohol issues. At least in my opinion, they do. And that's the opinion that matters in a marriage. Absolutely. <laughs> Seriously. Mm-hmm. Whether or not there's a formal diagnosis, that's the opinion that matters. And when that kind of thing happens, and, and I'm sure you see this a lot, people have had repeated loss. A lot of my clients have repeated loss. It's not like they came to me because they heard it was a good idea to work with me. They came to me because they heard it was a good idea to work with me. And they've been hurt so badly, they just don't want that to happen again. And I did tell Carrie, I said, you know, I was cool as cucumber right up until I fell in love with you. And now I'm really scared. And what I need is for you to tell me often that you love me. He already did, but I said, that helps me a lot. Absolutely. And anytime that I'm scared, for me to be able to tell you and you to say, 
I'm right here. Good people want to help their partner. That's part of what you've seen in your practice and part of what I see sometimes when I have couples, clients, is these women who are anxious and good who want to help their partner become a better person. Unfortunately, the whole better person thing is an enterprise that person has to decide on. Mm -hmm. We can't decide that for somebody else. But when you're with somebody who is deeply kind and respectful and operating from a secure base of, I can be vulnerable to you and you can be vulnerable to me because it's safe, because I'm going to make that safe. One of the hardest things for an anxious attacher is to admit their fear. Because keep in mind, one of the hallmarks of an anxious attacher is, and I have been there and done that, one of the hallmarks is we don't want to bring up anything that might rock the boat, even a tiny bit, because we're convinced even something small might derail the entire relationship. And what I tell my anxious clients is, go ahead. You don't need to be dramatic about it. I wasn't sobbing and screaming when I said this to Carrie, but I, I waited for a moment of calm and I said, sometimes I feel my heart race because you are so good for me. And I've been in love before and had it really go wrong. And it just scares me that, that could happen again. And I need reassurance at times. Yeah. Now, had he not been who he is, maybe that would have been it. Yeah. If he had he not been who he is, maybe he would have closed down or said, you need therapy, which I was already in because I don't just ask people to go to therapy. I do it myself. Um, yeah, you were proactive with your own healing there, right? You were empowered to share it, to receive the affirmation and security, which then heals you and keeps building forward, even though, like you said, occasionally you might need that affirmation still. Yeah. That, that's really cool work that you were doing and trusting. And again, he was worth it, right? Because if he wasn't, you wouldn't have done it. Yeah, and I was worth it. He was worth it and, and I, I was worth it. I, it. I won't go into this in the podcast, but something had happened with my ex that was extremely alarming and made me question the whether I'd ever really known who he was. So sorry. And that happened right after I fell in love with Carrie. And so I realized it's like when you're in a car and you get whiplash. And maybe you think, I'd probably deal with this on my own. Don't deal with that on your own. <laughs> and no, there's all kinds of alignment issues. Go get that taken care of. So I did. I got it taken care of. I didn't wait for that. A lot of times people will do things for a partner that they wouldn't do for themselves. Mm -hmm. But you're worth it too. Your partner's mm -hmm. worth it. You're worth it. And the thing is, if you show your vulnerability to someone who's earned it, I do not mean willy-nilly show the most... Yeah trust needing experience of your life to someone you barely know. Carrie had earned this. We were serious at this point. We're both in love. He had earned it. At that point, I need to tell him. This is another thing I was going to say, Dr. Karen, that uh, a lot of times one reason women connect with bad boys is a lot of bad boys reveal all the rough edges right up front. Mm -hmm. And the nice guys tend to get told that they're boring when what they are is appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Think about you meet somebody for the first time. You don't tell them, hopefully, your entire life story. You kind of you build that. You, you get to know them a little bit. On, for whatever reason on dating right now, we assume, oh, it has to all be out there at first. Mm -hmm. I don't mean lie to somebody, but do this like the layer of an onion and see if this person is doing it that way with you. 
if you say, if your ex were here right now, what would she say was the reason for your breakup? Which is a really good question because it lets you hear whether this other person is kind and respectful, even about someone that he's been at odds with. And he says, we just grew apart after the kids. And he doesn't go into further detail. That's fine. That doesn't make him boring. It doesn't Mm -hmm. make him secretive. That answer, you'll find out soon enough, but if it's a real answer. But when you're with someone who's a nice guy, he's being appropriate. He's telling you a true answer, but he's not going into all the ways they drifted apart. What happened that was unsatisfactory in every detail? Somebody who reveals it all up front is not probably going to be very safe for you. And I think that's a narcissistic ploy too. It can be, and it it can also be a lot of times very anxious or very avoidant individuals, people with anxious or avoidant attachment styles. But there are a lot of disorders that are extreme forms Mm -hmm. of, again, I'm extrapolating. I could be wrong about this, but I think, for example, that borderline personality disorder is an extreme form of anxious attachment. I like it. I think if you look at those two things, you can see, Mm -hmm. here's where I was scared that I was going to be left. And here's where that went into, I have to reject everyone and see the world in black and white so that I can feel safe at all. It's there. It's going really far with the same concept, I think. Uh And disagreeable. There are disagreeable people who are just, eh, they're prickly and Eeyore-ish, but they get with certain people and they calm down about that somewhat. But then there are people who are extremely disagreeable, who actually go into the dark triad of Machiavellianism, sociopathology, narcissism. Again, this is my thought is that normal things in life become so exacerbated that they actually Mm -hmm. cross the line into something diagnosable. And what I would say is when you meet somebody where if you have a personal history of being with people who are dramatic, disagreeable, make you feel like you love them because of drama. If you never love anybody where there's no drama, possibly you've confused and conflated drama and love. And it's time to really look at that, hopefully with a good coach or therapist, and start to allow yourself to experience what it looks like for someone who can give you happiness to gradually reveal themselves and for you to mirror. I knew when I, not when I met him, but when I started to really see who Carrie was and to fall in love with him, I knew that here was somebody much further down the path of security than I was. He, in fact, may be the most secure person I've ever known. He had his mom and dad who stayed together, his brother who was married, his sister who was married when he was born. They all lived on the same property. And all of those women, he said he never fell down without somebody picking him up and kissing him, ever. (laughs) And I knew, I was like, this guy is so secure. I need to look at him as a leader. He has a lot to teach me. And that's one of the things I try to do with my clients, because most of my clients are like me. They didn't feel secure. They didn't. And I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for that, compassion for that. It's a terrible feeling to not be attracted to the quote unquote, nice guys. It's a terrible feeling to realize you're in love with one of them and then think he's too good for me. He's going to find out I'm not worthy. He's going to leave once he sees the real me. And one of the things that, that I work on is helping people see this person is not a better person than you are. 
This person is farther down a path of feeling worthy than you are. Let them lead you. And I work with men and women. A third of the, my clients are men. So, you know, there are as many men without a secure attachment as there are women easily. And they meet secure women. Sometimes I'll say, let her lead you. Let yourself be loved. Yep. Write a new drama. Drama doesn't have to be bad. Write a positive drama. I love how you're expressing, and thank you for sharing your personal journey as well, Duane, because I think it's always so nice, as we, you and I have spoken to you before, people may not remember the research, but they always remember that personal story that you're coinciding with the research, of course. But I love how you're explaining that once you really committed, that's when the anxiety kicked in. So you were going along, you'd revisited your secure attachment from your childhood, despite the painful divorces. And then you got back into your secure groove. And then you fall in love and anxious attachment flares up again. Because I think it's really critical that someone wouldn't then at that point, now in a relationship, committed relationship with a strong, solid, secure man, and then go, wait, I'm freaking out. So this must not be right. Because that could easily derail someone for all the reasons you guys were talking about. Elliot, I'm curious, when you look at couples who now are married or engaged, and I'm sure you see some of this sometimes, mm -hmm. how do you help couples then go, okay, you got here and please understand your emotional response does not mean that this relationship is dysfunctional and pathological. This is a natural part of what you're going through as an individual. And how do you help couples therapeutically to navigate those waters? Yeah, I had that this morning with a couple talking through historical understanding of their life and their family of origin. She was reporting some really highly anxious responses to some activities in the family, the broad family. They've been married for like five years and asked to come in separately to walk through it because she knew she acted poorly over the weekend and been not communicating great. And so as we walked through it again, I was looking at what do these emotions mean and recognizing that some of the emotions she was feeling were based in the fear and the anxious attachment rather than the lens of her secure attachment with a man who loves her, is good to her, secure. She has no fear of him cheating or anything like that, but it got rooted into that anxious style. So even when you're married and even when you've worked through it and you're getting secured, the flare-ups will happen. And so it's like an oil change. It's like an anxious attachment oil change this morning. We just walked through, got the old oil out and got the new oil in again, look for the reframes, look for the different perspectives again, recognizing what she was feeling was not wrong and that she wasn't evil and she wasn't wicked and warped and her husband's not a deceivious, cheating jerk who's just waiting for the right time to hurt her, just trying to get the reframe perspective again, recognizing which thoughts match with which emotions, which ones don't. She's a woman of faith as well, talking about her understanding of how God sees her rather than trying to look for her man always affirm her. Let's get some affirmation from the Lord first as primary, then work that in together. So all those kind of reframed, redirective, encouragement, support, affirmation. She does not have a strong father, so I know I play the role of a spiritual father just to give her that blessing and affirmation that what she's feeling wasn't wrong. But if it's leading to more fear, more anxiety, and more trepidation, let's walk through it together so we can get back into the secure framework. Yeah, I think it's probably very comforting for listeners to hear because I think we try to categorize and label and put ourselves in boxes. And sometimes that can be helpful because we go, okay, there's a framework for what this is, what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling, and there's help. But to globally label yourself, I'm, I must be always anxious attached, anxiously attached. It sounds like what you're describing, both of you, that you could have 
those flare ups that could happen, but you don't have to then go, okay, I guess I'm doomed and damaged and it's never going to work for me. I'll never find that secure, strong, healthy relationship that I'm looking for. Yeah, we got to reclaim our identity often. We do. And not everybody, one of the things I like that you said, Elliot, was you were talking about her going back to the source of her worth, her spiritual source of her worth. Most people that I work with are not religious, and I'm not religious in the sense of Christianity. I'm a Unitarian Universalist. Many Unitarian Universalists are Christian, but many aren't. Some of them are Buddhist, some of them are Jewish, some of them are just UU. And the underpinning of my faith is that everyone has worth and dignity, including myself, and that it's important to express that in the things that I do and the things that, that... that I have done to me. Don't let things that undermine my worth and dignity be part of my experience either. But I come at it from a different perspective than you do, therefore. And not I'm not saying it's a better perspective. I think Mm -hmm. for people who part of their faith is that they believe that there's a God that loves them and affirms who they are and created them, and that can be very comforting, connecting with that source. A lot of people don't have that. I don't necessarily have that, but I think that there's a basic worth and dignity that, again, this is my faith, that is there regardless of whether you believe in a higher power, whether you believe Mm -hmm. there's basic worth to humanity and to people. And to protect that in ourselves and in others is really important. One of the tools that I've found that's really helpful in my practice, because unlike you, I'm not a therapist, is... I hired a couple therapists to assess a program that's available online called virtualemdr.com, which I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. because I kept finding that there were so many flare-ups even after people are in secure relationships. And I wanted relief for myself and for other people from these flare-ups. And it has been immensely helpful. I have had clients who have had, they've never had a base of secure attachment ever who are thriving and happy now mm-hmm. because they finally believe not just hear the words they finally believe in the core of who they are that they are good enough the way that they are that they are worthy and good people and when you really believe that and don't just hear the words when you really believe that you let a different kind of person into your life mm-hmm. and you have a different set of, of boundaries in your life you don't have to be cruel about them, but you have a, a different set of boundaries. In fact, as you feel better about yourself, you're kinder about them. Yeah, it's just been a real game changer. What I'm finding is my clients are able to benefit tremendously from my work in a way that it was hard when we were just constantly pushing against, but I don't really, I'm doing it, Duena, but I don't really feel like it's mm-hmm. going to work for me. Yeah. And once people really feel worthy, wow, that's, it, it's incredible. A big part of the reason to give full commitment to someone is because they've earned your heart and your trust and they want the best for you. Let them be part of your healing just as they can let you be part of theirs. Letting somebody love you is a big part of a relationship. Being loved is a big part of a relationship and giving love is a big part of the relationship. A lot of anxious people are really good at the giving. They don't feel so worthy to receive. I think as we wrap up, we can really look at the themes that both of you have spoken to in the work with couples and individuals that one of the reasons, getting back to the initial question, why can't I fall for the nice guy 
and why am I always attracted to the bad boys? We got to look at, do you, the question really is, do you feel worthy of the nice guy? The stable shows up, calls when he says he's going to call, comes over when he says he's going to come over. Do you really feel worthy? Or is your attraction to bad boys, is that really based in an element of reinforcing what you fundamentally believe about yourself? I'm not worthy of someone who comes to me, pursues me. I will always have to pursue and chase. And for women, as Dwayne and I have talked about in previous episodes, that is not the way that we have been designed. And we very, probably never say never, but I'm pretty comfortable saying for the most part, those relationships where the woman is initiating the pursuing very likely do not work out to be have that healthy stability and that commitment and that security that we're looking for. Yeah, Karen, when you're saying this, I, I've actually, because Carrie is the most secure person I think I've ever known, I've talked to him a lot about what was it like? He's always been good looking, tall and athletic. Women have thrown themselves at him. And I've said, what was that? What was that like for you? Did you ever go for the woman who pursued you? And he said, no. He said, I just, there's something in me that said that there was just something wrong. And so when you're saying, this is what I'm saying. It's like the people who respond to women's pursuit are the same people who are the most likely to hurt her. Now, of course, Carrie's mm-hmm. just one person. He's, he doesn't stand in for all men, but his experience does go along with the science. It does go along with the science. Men who want to give, they want to provide and protect. They're willing and able to provide and protect the four big things that women have always looked for and that good men want to do. And this is in the code of our DNA to want this. Women want it everywhere in the entire world. There is not an exception. Hunter-gatherer societies are not an exception. Those men, they don't really trust it when a woman makes herself too available. To the women who say, then nobody will like me if I have these standards. I think women now are more competitive than they have ever been, who show that they care enough for themselves to adhere to their own standards for being treated well and being waited for sexually until love is there. Not just the guy says it, because as Dr. David Buss is fond of saying, those guys are snakes in the garden of love. That's a direct quote. But proves it through his behavior, and not just once. This needs to be sustained. Women all over the world know what that behavior looks like. If it doesn't, I've got a book about it. There are lots of other books about it, but showing signs of care and concern that puts you at least co-equal with his own interests over time, in addition to the words, I love you. And those women are more competitive, not less. Consider, I cut all my hair off. Guys love long hair. I had long hair and then I cut it all off. It was the pandemic. Didn't want to deal with it. And now I'm like, still don't want to deal with it. (laughs) So I haven't grown it back. And I was over 50, which is not a point in women's favor as far as large numbers of potential partners approaching them, but you only need one. And by being the woman who would wait, who would hold herself apart, not in a mean way, just a a model of self-esteem way. My book, my newer edition, which has just come out a year ago, it's still new. I say, I think the reason that men have responded to hard to get is not, it is It's really about high self-esteem. I suspect those women have more barriers to getting sexually involved than women who have lower self-esteem. Guess what? 
The research has come out since the book was released that proves that that is true. And so secure men have high self-esteem. They're looking to see that. They're looking to see the self-esteem of, I will, I, I will not be treated badly. I have standards. And one of those standards is I'm going to wait to get to tell you everything about me and to reveal everything about me, including my sexuality. That's not going to happen right at first. So here I am. I was a woman who's 52 with short hair. And also most men don't think PhDs are hot. They don't. Everyone could find me just by my first name. They could see that I'd written books about dating. You think most people are like, wow, she's written all these books about this and I'm about to date her. That's awesome. No, they don't mostly think that. So here I am. What I'm trying to say is if I can do it, you can do it. You really can. You really can. And these are points. The point in your favor is you don't have to have the high self-esteem already. You can fake it till you make it. And it differentiates you. So if you think nobody's going to call you, nobody's going to ask you out, nobody's going to pay for dinner, nobody's going to drive two hours to see you and then turn right about around and drive back and ever see you again, that will get rid of most people. But again, dating is not a numbers game. You want to get rid of most people. That's right. Duana, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And if anyone has been inspired to go, all right, I think I can start to believe that I could fall for the nice guy and would like to work with you, let us know where they can find you and work with you and also your books, of course. Sure. They can go to lovesciencemedia.com. Lovesciencemedia.com. And there's so much information there. There's a place to contact me. There's a place to look at what it would be like to work with me. There's my email address. There's even my phone number, which is probably why I get spammed all the time. And if you leave me a message of any kind, whether or not you're considering being my client, I will respond to that message. I also offer 15-minute free consults for anybody who's on the fence about it. And thanks again. We'll have you back soon. Thanks, thanks Thank so you much, Duane. It was so fun good. to meet my competitor face-to-face. <laughs> We're collaborators. We're no longer competitive. We're collaborative together. I never knew about the competition, so it's all good. <laughs> this one will be the highest one, and then we can be in it together. That's right. <laughs> Maybe we can. Yeah, it was a real pleasure to meet you because, of course, I have <laughs> tremendous respect for Dr. Karen well, here. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know till she told me you were a co-host that she had a brother, and then she told me about your credentials. I was like, holy cow, this guy's really amazing. So delightful to be on the show, as always. Delightful to meet you, Elliot and Yes, we'll do it again sometime soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening and for spending a portion of your day with us. We truly appreciate it. Be sure to keep in touch by signing up for our weekly newsletter at loveandlifemedia.com. There you can also submit a question that Ellie and I can answer in an upcoming Love and Life episode. We're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. Thanks again. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.